Yes, that is right. We are back with you here on Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. I almost said January 21, 2012. Woo, time is flying here. Nevertheless, we are in the new year fully here in 2021. Very happy to be with you as we continue on the punch out. As we always do, got plenty of very important information for you. Uh, Israeli apartheid in action, a new report detailing some of those things, some of which you knew, but uh, in a way that I think is very important. And we will get to that. Also, we want to talk to you about Trump's final assault on school lunches. Yes, he has been attacking school lunches, if you've missed that, and still trying to leave a little bit of a poison pill. But before we do get to that, we want to go to a, well at least potentially positive story for now. That is Lisa Montgomery, who is set to be executed today by federal authorities, did in fact receive a stay. Well, for now, uh, thankfully, for now, thankfully, the execution of Lisa Montgomery by the federal government is not going to happen. She was granted a stay this morning with just hours left to live. Uh, Montgomery's case was one of uh, several, this sort of execution spree that the Trump administration has been going on. She would have been the first woman to be executed in many, many decades. And her case is really a clear example of the realities of the death penalty in the United States. The execution will remain on hold until a mental competency review is is held. Uh, and, and I want to get into this and, and what's going on, but I just have to tell you now uh, the details of what took place and the details of her own background are harrowing. So just prepare yourself for that. It's a lot of really disturbing things. Um, the issue of the mental competency review. As her lawyers have argued, she did indeed uh, commit the crime for which she was imprisoned, uh, which was the murder of a woman who was eight months pregnant. Uh, she then removed the fetus, the baby lived, and she attempted to pass the baby off uh, as her own. The brutality of the crime, though, really just can't be understood in any way, shape, or form unless you know a little something about her life history and, and what that would mean about her mental state and what could lead someone to do uh, something like this. And just to make this clear, the jury was not truly informed about any of what I'm about to say, and prosecutors chose to ignore it. Now, Miss Montgomery's troubles started very early. Almost certainly she was born with some level of alcohol-induced damage to her, mo her mother's alcoholism. Uh, she was subjected to brutal beatings routinely. Her sister was raped in the bed while she was next to her. As a preteen, she was raped and molested by her stepfather, who also allowed men, sometimes in groups, to have sex with her for money, sometimes for hours at a time, one after another, and sometimes after that, uh, groups of men would urinate on her. Uh, well, it's tough to read. Uh, after divorcing uh, the stepfather, her mother actually continued the same behavior uh, for a number of years. Uh, Miss Montgomery, she actually had four children in five years, and then she was forcibly sterilized uh, by her family or on her family's orders. And 
There's more I could say, but I'll just leave it there. Uh, it's tough to hear, but you needed to hear it because you need to understand that despite all of what you just heard, prosecutors still sought to sentence her to death. They refused to consider any of this. They ultimately made sure a jury didn't consider it uh, that well either. Her own lawyers at trial failed to even raise the issue substantially, which allowed the prosecutors to be the only ones to frame her own background. And they actually called it to the jury. They said, don't worry about it. It's just a, and this is a quote, abuse excuse. That's how they treated that information, sentenced her to die. Hopefully, given the wide outcry, Montgomery's life will be spared. Thousands and thousands of people have spoken out uh, of all types all around the world, in fact. And certainly, uh, you know, when you think about this case, it really opens up many of the major issues with the death penalty. And, and I can tell you, having followed this issue closely for years, I'm very sorry to say what you heard about Lisa Montgomery's life and her case is not an outlier. Routinely, routinely, people who end up on death row have themselves been subjected to just truly horrifying, hard to even imagine abuse, which provides a critical context, not only for what they did, but that executing them for it is quite frankly the opposite of justice. And this is one of the many reasons the death penalty is falling out of favor with people in the United States. In fact, this year, not only were there the fewest executions ever, there was also, or not fewest executions ever, fewest executions in 37 years, but also the fewest new death sentences. Colorado became the 22nd state to abolish the death penalty. 34 states have now either abolished capital punishment or not carried out an execution in at least 10 years. And the reasons here are multifold. Uh, one is that fewer people just in general support the death penalty outright, which is no surprise because the the death penalty has no proven deterrent effect. In fact, most of the states with the highest murder rate per capita are also states that still favor the death penalty, certainly have it, but also tend to use it more often. It's also clearly racist and biased against those with serious mental and emotional issues. And clearly the rise of DNA exoneration has changed people's perception of the possibility of innocence and, you know, the real human cost of the death penalty. And then in terms of the financial cost, it's been conclusively proven it actually costs more money to execute someone than to hold them imprisoned for life. So all the major issues that are put out there for why you should support the death penalty have all been proven ridiculous and more and more people in the country are certainly seeing that. And the second factor is the lack of availability of execution drugs. Major drug companies all around the world, uh, just about all of them, quite frankly, said that their drugs are not approved for use in executions, which means many states have had to turn to illegal importation of drugs and all sorts of bizarre drug cocktails, uh, and many have just given up because of that. Even more so because one of the most popular new drugs in these bizarre, shady, black market drug cocktails to kill people is called midazolam. Midazolam is extremely brutal. It's known for making executions very painful. In fact, it's described as the equivalent of a chemical burning at the stake. And it's also, of course, tied to a number of botched executions. So though that has been a major factor in many states just backing off of it. So we will see what happens with this mental competency review, but hopefully Lisa Montgomery's life will be spared as part of what appears to be a growing consciousness in this country that the barbaric death penalty must be ended now. <laughs> 
Well, there are a lot of conversations going on about various things Trump is trying to do, leave behind to ruin the lives of working people, these various poison pill uh, elements here, last second rulemaking. And I bet you one you haven't heard about is around keeping school lunches very unhealthy. Yes, that's right. They're trying to make sure there's more sodium, more sugar, fewer fruits, and fewer vegetables in school meals. This has actually been a major agenda of the USDA under the Trump administration from day one. They've actually been working on this since 2017. And not surprisingly, that is because it's a big agenda of agribusiness, these big agribusiness companies that are trying to push their unhealthy foods on kids. Get them addicted young. That's obviously what they're shooting for. For instance... It's the big dairy companies that are behind the Trump administration's returning chocolate milk to lunch trays. The potato industry made a special push for French fries. And the maker of Red Baron frozen pizzas even got their home state Minnesota senators, including some Democrats, to express outrage at healthy lunches. Between 2009 and 2015, nutrition quality scores for school lunches increased tremendously, 41%. That's obviously a good thing. But AG... Uh, excuse me, the Ag Secretary, Sonny Perdue, Sonny Perdue, claimed that kids were throwing out more of the healthy food and that they weren't getting any nutrition so that they should make the food less healthy because ultimately it will be more healthy. That's really the logic they were using. However, that was a lie. And the numbers from the USDA itself said that there was no change. So kids were eating healthier without a doubt. Although, of course, there are still challenges and there's way too much food waste. Over one third of vegetables in school lunches do end up as waste. But it ain't because there is a change in the lunches. It's basically the exact same before they change them. We don't actually have the data yet on the impact of the changes to uh, the, the lunches. So we don't know how much it's gone down. We know how much 2009, 2015, 41% increase in the nutritional value. Don't know if it's gone down the same, if it's be, been even worse. But the important thing here is that because these rule changes were done so hastily without sufficient public or expert input, cor- I guess just corporate lobbyists are putting in their input, a judge had actually thrown out these new rules earlier in uh, 2020. And then in late December, the Trump administration sneaks in a new rule that was basically the exact same one as the one that was thrown out by the courts and made sure that the comment period was over the Christmas holiday when people would, of course, be less likely to actually submit a comment. Now, whether or not they can actually finalize this before January 20th is a question. They obviously were trying to sneak this in uh, under the radar and hopefully outside of, I think they were hoping outside of the realm of any courts, but these rules are not really made to be that easy to reverse. So even if on day one, Tom Vilsack decided to roll it back, it could certainly take some time, which certainly means the possibility of less health, not the possibility, really the reality of less healthy lunches for at least probably the next school term. So that's that's real damage being done to kids. It's Even though it seems maybe a short period of time, that's real damage being done to kids, being forced to eat this unhealthy food. It really isn't that complicated about why we would want kids to eat healthy school meals. And honestly, I have to say, it's quite disturbing how much influence big business has over this process, really. I mean, capitalism really is demanding that at school, your kids be given unhealthy food. Bet Salim, which is an Israeli human rights organization, one of the most respected human rights organizations uh, in Israel and perceived around the world as those things go, uh, has released a new report for the very first time describing Israeli government policies as apartheid. This, uh, this is a big step for uh, Bet Salim, which... 
had previously limited itself primarily to looking at the West Bank and then Gaza. Now it's said that the whole of Israel is an apartheid country, and they've put out this report that details uh, the reality of how Palestinians are forced to live. As they know in the report, quote, in the entire area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, the Israeli regime implements laws, practices, and state violence designed to submit the supremacy of one group, Jews, over another, Palestinians. End quote. And for instance, they note that, quote, in contrast, uh, non-Jews have no right to legal status, no right to legal status in Israeli controlled areas. End quote. They also note further that, quote, Israel practices a policy of Judaizing the area based on the mindset that land is a resource meant almost exclusive to benefit the Jewish public. Land is used to develop and expand existing Jewish communities and build new ones, while Palestinians are dispossessed and corralled into small crowded enclaves. They also note that, quote, the Israeli regime severely restricts construction and development and the little remaining land in Palestinian communities, end quote. They also note, yep, there's more, that, quote, Israel routinely restricts the movement of Palestinians in the occupied territories and generally forbids them from moving between the units in the West Bank. And by the units, they mean the different areas of judicial areas, that is, of uh, 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 Israel in the occupied territories. Uh really Palestine. Israel controls all of the routes between the various Palestinian enclaves, and this allows the military to set up flying checkpoints, close off access points to villages, block roads, and stop passage through checkpoints at will. They also note that the vast majority of Palestinians are living in the occupied territories, which are completely controlled by, controlled by Israel. So they note that, quote, the roughly 5 million Palestinians who live in the occupied territories cannot participate in the political system that governs their lives and determines their futures, end quote. Well, if that's not apartheid, I don't know what the hell is. Uh, now, of course... You know, many of this has been known and detailed for many years, but I believe that this move by one of Israel's most notable human rights organizations, one with maybe the, if not the, one of the top highest profiles internationally uh, and most respected in the international media and so on and so forth in terms of Israeli human rights abuses, is taking this move, which they knew would be vastly controversial and will absolutely lead to them taking much more abuse than they already do uh, inside of, of uh, uh, Palestine themselves, or really inside of Israel. Uh, anyway, it was a big move for them. And I think it's definitely a further reflection that the continued growth of opposition to Israel's apartheid policies around the world cannot be stopped. Oppression breeds resistance. More and more people are seeing this and more and more people are calling it exactly what it is, apartheid. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. <laughs>